This is Draco Malfoy and the Heir of Slytherin, part two of the Mirror of Isidibu series by Star Bridget. Chapter 15. Answers. Moaning Myrtle is the girl who was killed in the bathroom. Draco looked up from the note Potter had flown over to him at breakfast. Potter and Ron waved their arms at him with sheer expressiveness, not even trying to be subtle, and Draco thought about it. He didn't even have to think long before he nodded over at them. How had he not realised? He'd known her so much longer than those two. He'd spent hours with her in sixth year, although he supposed they had spent their time talking about Draco's life. Why did there have to be so many disadvantages to being self-absorbed? Let Potter and Ron think he had figured it out before they had told him. At least he was better prepared for exams than the two of them. Somehow, even after everything that had happened, exams were looming upon them. There were rumbles that Quidditch would be back at some point with Hufflepuff double-booked. Their match with Gryffindor would have to be played, and then their final match with Slytherin, which had been due to be at the end of May, presumably moved back later. Draco could hardly believe he had just saved the boy who lived from a giant spider with an unforgivable and yet he was still somehow expected to go right back to playing Quidditch. At some point before school was out, Potter would have to go down into the Chamber of Secrets and slay a basilisk. Draco's notebook had it sometime near the end of May. He had already serenely resolved that would not, in any way, shape or form, involve one Draco Malfoy, who had risked his neck enough for fifteen lifetimes with those blasted spiders. After all, he had to beat Cedric Diggory at Quidditch. Not that the game had ended up getting played last time, but, well, better safe than sorry. He'd beaten Diggory to the snitch in third year, but he'd had a growth spurt by then, which this current body had yet to undergo. Diggory was a picture of seeker perfection strutting around the school already. If Draco lost to the boy he'd claimed as his crush to the other Slytherins, they'd never let him hear the end of it. Three days before their first exam, Professor McGonagall made an announcement at breakfast. "'I have good news,' she said, and the Great Hall, instead of falling silent, erupted. "'Dumbledore's coming back!' several people yelled joyfully. "'You've caught the heir of Slytherin!' squealed a girl on the Ravenclaw table. Draco was pleased to catch no one glancing in his direction at that. Quidditch matches are back on, roared Oliver Wood excitedly from the Gryffindor table, which could he just not? When the hubbub subsided, Professor McGonagall said, Professor Sprout has informed me that the mandrakes are ready for cutting at last. Tonight we will be able to revive those people who have been petrified. I need hardly remind you that all one of them may be able to tell us who or what attacked them. I am hopeful that this dreadful year will end with our catching the culprit. Oh, so this was the day Potter went into the chamber. Probably something to do with Myrtle's bathroom. Draco cheered with everyone, though he knew he might not live long enough to see Hermione again anyway if he couldn't weasel his way out of this year's suicide mission. 
It started springing into place when he caught sight of Ron and Potter sneaking away from the other Gryffindors in the corridor, with Lockhart derelict in guarding them. Severus merely gave a weary sigh, and made no move to stop Draco from running to follow them on their exciting field trip to Myrtle's bathroom. They faced stiffer opposition in McGonagall, who came upon them and looked none too pleased to see they had slipped the leash. Porter! Weasley Malfoy, what are you doing? We were, we were, Ron stammered. We were going to, to go and see Hermione, said Potter, and Draco could have kissed him. We haven't seen her for ages, Professor, and we thought we'd sneak into the hospital wing, you know, and tell her the mandrakes are nearly ready, and, uh, not to worry. And, just as Draco had suspected, that did the old bat in good. Of course, she croaked, with a tear glimmering from her eye, and Draco bit his tongue to hold back laughter. Of course, I realise this has been hardest on the friends of those who have been, I quite understand. Oh yes, it's been very hard on us, whose friend was just petrified this month, as opposed to, say, Creevy's friends. He's been petrified all bloody year, wait. Does Creevy have friends? Yes, Potter, of course you may visit Miss Granger. I will inform your professors where you've gone. Tell Madame Pomfrey I have given my permission. She gave a great honk of her nose as she departed, and Draco beamed at Potter. That, said Ron fervently, was the best story you've ever come up with. Draco could only express his gratitude by giving Potter a kiss on the cheek. Ron was even more tickled by that, doubling over in laughter once he witnessed Potter's frozen face, as good as if he had been petrified by the monster. The two of them practically had to bodily drag him the rest of the way to the hospital wing. They had to follow McGonagall's orders now. Madame Pomfrey let them in, but reluctantly. There's just no point talking to a petrified parson, she said, and they had to admit she was right when they'd taken their seats next to Hermione. It was plain that Hermione didn't have the faintest inkling that she had visitors, and that they might just as well have told her bedside cabinet not to worry, for all the good it would do. But it did give Draco a chance to play sadly with her bracelet, and serve the H for Hermione with some seriously judgmental looks. Wonder if she did see the attacker, though, said Ron, looking sadly at Hermione's rigid face. Because if he sneaked up on them all, no one will ever know. But Harry wasn't looking at Hermione's face. He was more interested in her right hand. It lay clenched on top of her blankets, and he pushed Draco's hand out of the way, ignoring his indignant yelp. Bending closer, he seemed to see something, then waited for Madame Pomfrey to pass by before pointing out to them that a piece of paper was scrunched inside her fist. Try and get it out, Ron whispered shifting his chair so that he blocked them from Madame Pomfrey's view, and Draco took on the task. He had the most delicate hands. It was no easy task. Hermione's hand was clamped so tightly around the paper that Draco was sure he was going to tear it. While Ron kept watch, he tugged and twisted, and at last, after several tense minutes, the paper came free. It was a page torn from a very old library book. 
Draco was aghast at the thought of Hermione having willingly defaced a library book, which seemed to signify the apocalypse had truly come. But Potter was not so perturbed, as he smoothed it out eagerly and showed them to read. Of the many fearsome beasts and monsters that roam our land, there is none more curious or more deadly than the basilisk known also as the king of serpents. This snake, which may reach gigantic size and live many hundreds of years, is born from a chicken's egg, hatched beneath a toad. Its methods of killing are most wondrous, for aside from its deadly and venomous fangs, the basilisk has a murderous stare, and all who are fixed with the beam of its eye shall suffer instant death. Spiders flee before the basilisk, for it is their mortal enemy, and the basilisk flees only from the crowing of the rooster which is fatal to it. Merlin's bollocks! No one ever listened to Draco, did they? Beneath the passage, a single word had been written in a hand Draco would never have failed to recognise as Hermione's. Pipes. Ron, Draco, look, Potter breathed. This is it. This is the answer. The monster in the chamber's a basilisk, a giant serpent. That's why I've been hearing that voice all over the place and nobody else has heard it. It's because I understand parcel tongue. Wait, Draco hissed. You've been what? Potter looked up at the beds around them. The basilisk kills people by looking at them, but no one's died because no one looked it straight in the eye. Colin saw it through his camera. The basilisk burned up all the film inside it. But Colin just got petrified. Justin. Justin must have seen the basilisk through nearly headless Nick. Nick got the full blast of it, but he couldn't die again. And Hermione and that raven called prefect were found with a mirror next to them. Hermione had just realised the monster was a basilisk. I'll bet you anything she warned the first person she'd met to look round corners with a mirror first. And that girl pulled out her mirror and... Ron's jaw had dropped. And Mrs Norris, he whispered eagerly. Potter seemed to think hard. The water, Potter said slowly. The flooding from Mooning Myrtle's bathroom. I bet you Mrs Norris only saw the reflection. Draco, Draco, you were right. It all made sense, of course. It only left Draco to wonder, as was the case with Myrtle, how his dark arts expertise and his foreknowledge of the future, he hadn't been the one to think of it. If the hat had put Draco into Ravenclaw, it would only have been right to declare an inquest into the thing. Oh no, Draco, basilisks kill anyone who looks at them. Oh, Draco, you're so stupid to think it's a basilisk. Bloody hell. Don't worry, he's fine, just ignore him, said Ron. The basilisk flees only from the crowing of the rooster which is fatal to it, Potter read aloud. Hagrid's roosters were killed. The heir of Slytherin didn't want anyone anywhere near the castle once the chamber was opened. Ah, the blissful sound of Potter talking about the heir and not meaning it to refer to Draco. That, at least, slightly soothed his wounded ego. Spiders flee before the basilisk. It all fits. But how's the basilisk been getting around the place? said Ron. Dirty great snake. Someone would have seen it. Potter pointed at the word Hermione had scribbled at the foot of the page. Pipes, he said. Pipes, Ron, it's been using the plumbing. 
I've been hearing that voice inside the walls. You know, Draco said crossly, if you had told me you'd been hearing voices, Potter, at least after you'd stopped thinking I was the heir, I could have figured it out a lot sooner. Potter looked down, flushing guiltily. What, Potter? I thought you'd make fun of me, Potter mumbled. Ron grabbed Potter's arm. The entrance to the Chamber of Secrets, he said hoarsely. What if it's a bathroom? What if it's in... Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, said Potter. And wow, six-year Draco had picked a poor hangout spot. And there it was again. Those splendidly suicidal Gryffindor looks on their faces. This means, said Potter, I can't be the only Parcelmouth in the school. The Air of Slytherin's one too. That's how they've been controlling the Basilisk. What are we going to do? said Ron, whose eyes were flashing. Shall we go straight to McGonagall? Sweet, Salazar. They were actually going to go to a teacher for once had spending enough time with Draco rubbed some of the Gryffindor off them. Let's go to the staff room, said Harry, jumping up. She'll be there in ten minutes. It's nearly break. They ran downstairs to the deserted staff room, a large panelled room full of dark wooden chairs, but the bell to signal break never came, and Draco thought with a start, Ginny Weasley, it's the girl. She's been taken. The professors aren't coming. Merlin, why didn't I just sneak around the corner and skedaddle while I still could? McGonagall's voice sounded out, magically amplified. All students to return to their house dormitories at once. All teachers return to the staff room. Immediately, please. Potter wheeled around to stare at them. Not another attack. Not now. What will we do? said Ron, aghast. Go back to our dormitories. Draco opened his mouth to call that a very sensible idea. No, said Potter, glancing around. There was an ugly sort of wardrobe to his left, full of the teacher's cloaks. In here, let's hear what it's all about. Then we can tell them what we found out. Draco began to sidle away in what he thought an unobtrusive manner, until Potter's arms shot out and snagged Draco to pull him forcibly into the cupboard with them. What is it with you and your thing for dragging me inside cabinets? Draco hissed at Potter. Do you have some kind of fetish for them? Potter seemed to consider for a moment. I did used to live in a cupboard. Not funny, Potter, Draco hissed, and Ron looked glad to be between them. He held a finger to his lips and they hid themselves inside the cabinet silently listening to the rumble of hundreds of people moving overhead and the staff room door banging open. From between the musty folds of the cloaks, they watched the teachers filtering into the room. Some of them were looking puzzled, others downright scared, though Draco was pleased to see Severus looking regally unperturbed as ever. Then McGonagall arrived. It has happened, she told the silent staff room. A student has been taken by the monster right into the chamber itself. Flitwick let out a squeal. Sprout clapped her hands over her mouth. Severus gripped the back of a chair very hard and said, How can you be sure? Oh no, 
Draco's noble attempts to save Ginny Weasley had failed. Ah, oh, well. There was already an excessive quantity of Weasleys. It wasn't like they couldn't spare one or two. The heir of Slytherin, said McGonagall, who was very white, left another message right underneath the first one. Her skeleton will lie in the chamber forever. Professor Flitwick burst into tears. Who is it? said Madame Hooch, who had sunk weak-kneed into a chair. Luna Lovegood, said McGonagall, and Draco had to cover his own mouth not to scream. We shall have to send all the students home tomorrow. This is the end of Hogwarts. Dumbledore always said. The staff room banged open once again to admit Lockhart. So sorry it dozed off. What have I missed? He didn't seem to notice that the other teachers were looking at him with something remarkably like hatred. Severus stepped forward and the intent was palpable in the air even before he spoke. The exquisite malice. But Draco could barely even feel it, let alone enjoy it. He could feel his fingers going numb. Just the man, Severus said. The very man. A girl has been snatched by the monster Lockhart, taken into the chamber of secrets itself. Your moment has come at last. Lockhart blanched. His handsome face turned to a frozen mask as his eyes pleaded for mercy. Mercy that would never be coming from Severus. That's right, Gilderoy, chipped in Sprout. Weren't you saying just last night that you've known all along where the entrance to the Chamber of Secrets is? I, well, I, sputtered Lockhart. Yes, didn't you tell me you were sure you knew what was inside it? piped up Flitwick. D did I? I don't recall. I certainly remember you saying you were sorry you hadn't had a crack at the monster before Hagrid was arrested, said Severus. Didn't you say that the whole affair had been bungled and that you should have been given a free reign from the first? Lockhart stared around at his stony-faced colleagues with his eyes resting the longest on Severus, full of betrayal. I, I really never, you may have misunderstood. We'll leave it to you then, Gilderoy, said McGonagall. Tonight will be an excellent time to do it. We'll make sure everyone's out of your way. You'll be able to tackle the monster all by yourself. A free reign at last. Lockhart gazed desperately around him, but nobody came to the rescue. Severus looked more likely to keep goading on it on than have a change of heart and come to his secret admirer's aid. Draco hadn't seen him look this pleased with himself in years. V very well, Lockhart said, taking one last longing look at Severus before seeming to draw himself up in determination. I'll... I'll be in my office getting... Getting ready! And he left the room. Right, said McGonagall, whose nostrils were flared. Nat's got him out from under our feet. The heads of houses should go and inform the students what has happened. Tell them the Hogwarts Express will take them home first thing tomorrow. 
Will the rest of you please make sure no students have been left outside their dormitories? The teachers rose and left one by one. Draco pushed his way out of the cabinet as soon as he could, gasping for breath. Ron and Potter followed, looking worried and sheepish. Doubly so once Draco had staggered over to sit in one of those dark wooden chairs, gripping the edge of the table as if his life depended on it. Unconsciously, he'd stumbled a bit farther than necessary to sit in the chair Severus had vacated. Draco, Ron said worriedly. Sorry, mate. Are you really claustrophobic? We just had to... It's fine, Draco gasped, squeezing his eyes tightly as they began to leak uncontrollably. But the wheezing was worse. He clutched onto his chest instead, and Potter raced to his side, touching his cheek with that distracting gentleness Draco could never convince himself he even slightly deserved. He didn't even deserve to sit in Severus's chair. Squeezing his eyes shut tighter, Draco let himself slide out of Severus's chair to the ground, wiping angrily at his face with the sleeves of his robe, with his nose starting to stop up like breath wouldn't go through it even if his lungs were working properly. He opened them to glare as he heard Ron and Potter settle on the ground beside him, with the gall to have these genuinely worried-looking expressions on their faces. Don't... Worry, underbusses, Draco panted. It will pass. I'm not going to die. And Potter grabbed him by the shoulders like he thought Draco was dying already. What's going on, Draco? Are you cursed? Potter asked, with utmost sincerity in those green eyes that were a mere blur to Draco. A smeared blot clouded together with Potter's glasses like a reflection in a lake hit by a stone. Draco had never been able to stand being touched when he got like this, but somehow, just as it had at Ollivander's the first time he met this Potter, Potter was an exception. It's only this fit I have sometimes, Draco forced out while Ron conjured a handkerchief and tried to wipe at his forehead, it's... I have trouble breathing. It's just because I'm s screwed up. It's a mind thing. I'll be f fine in a, just a minute, so just... He didn't have the will to tell them to leave him alone if it would make Potter stop holding his shoulders. What do you care? You you two, you would n never listen, never would, just thought, thought it was me. I'm sorry. Potter said intently and gripped both sides of Draco's face, forcing Draco to stare at the Potter blur as if that would leave no doubt as to the pitch of insincerity. If I've never said that out loud before, I'm sorry. I really am so sorry I didn't believe you, Draco. And then he elbowed Ron, and Draco let out a long shuddering gasp that turned to laughter at Ron's response. Yeah, I'm sorry too. Again, for the thousandth time, Ron said, though it was mainly Harry who convinced me, and earned a more severe elbowing. Why, it's true. You're always so sure, and you're the local expert on Draco Malfoy. Shut up, Ron, Potter hissed, in a voice that indicated Draco would be enjoying this scene if he could observe it properly. Potter and Ron sat down there with him, though it took longer than usual for the fit to pass. 
They sat talking with him about random things, Ron wiping at his face and Potter rubbing his back and shoulders for some indeterminate stretch of time, until even Draco's childish body was starting to feel stiff from sitting on the hard floor. Potter kept blurting out apologies apropos of nothing, whether for not believing in Draco's innocence or for the mistaken idea he'd caused Draco's respiratory fit by forcing him into the cabinet with him. Eventually, Draco's lungs started working well enough for his mind to work with them again. It doesn't make any sense, he said weakly. Luna Lovegood's a pure blood. Why would the basilisk target her like this? Pure-blooded Ginny Weasley had been tied up with the diary, yes. But the diary wasn't. Wait, is she? Potter asked, frowning. Draco supposed he couldn't expect them to know a random Ravenclaw first year, just because she would someday help them get Draco's father arrested. She is, Draco said. And if we don't do something, she's probably going to be dead soon, if she's not already. He found that, after that moment of weakness, albeit a very long and extended moment, a leaden certainty had dropped into place about what he had to do. This was his fault. If he hadn't intervened, it would still be Ginny Weasley taken down there, and Potter and Ron wouldn't be so contentedly dawdling, taking care of Draco. Lovegood was about to die, and it would be Draco's fault for meddling in the timeline unless he made sure Potter stopped it. Do you know what? said Ron. I think we should go and see Lockhart. Tell him what we know. He's going to try and get into the chamber. We can tell him where we think it is and tell him it's a basilisk in there. That must have been when Lockhart got obliviated. It would probably be safer to stick to the blue loop then and bring him. It was a split-second decision whether or not to show mercy, and Malfoys were hardly known for mercy. But Draco remembered the sight of Severus's chambers filled with golden roses. Why bother? said Draco impatiently. He's not going to be of any use anyway. He's a bloody fraud, and Hermione's not here to tell us otherwise, because Lockhart couldn't stop what's going on in the chamber any more than Justin bloody Finch Fletchley could. Let's just go. Let's go find Myrtle and go to the Chamber of Secrets and get Lovegood out of there. Potter and Ron surveyed him, looking rather stunned. Call Draco, Ron said. You sound like a Gryffindor. It's common sense, Draco hissed. We've already wasted too much time and can't waste any more, because the longer it goes after that announcement, the higher probability Lovegood is already dead. Potter was the one to guide them along the dark corridors towards Myrtle's bathroom. Draco had never had the best sense of direction, especially when he was this anxious. They passed the message on the wall, and Draco gripped Potter's sleeve until they passed it, trying not to look at the words bragging of Lovegood's death that would be one more death on his conscience, one more loss that was his fault, a loss he could not afford because Lovegood had been sweet to him, her captor. She had spoken to him, and smiled at him in her cell and been calm and patient and kind. Bloody hell, Draco, Ron called as they hurried along. You're really upset, aren't you? Do you know this girl or something? 
Draco froze to the door to Myrtle's bathroom, realising there was no way to explain the responsibility he felt for Lovegood. He didn't have time to think about his lie. Her bright white blonde hair came to his mind, and he blurted out the first thing he could come up with. If you must know, she's my cousin, all right, now let's go. Cousin? Ron said doubtfully. He never mentioned her. As it happens, our families aren't exactly close, Draco hissed, given that her father is the editor of the Quibbler. Not exactly the right sort, the love goods. Now, can we get a move on? Time for heroics, chosen one. Move! You too, Ron. I didn't save your stupid lives back in that forest for you to let my cousin die. Okay, okay, went Potter. As Draco dragged him into the bathroom by the collar, Ron following behind. Moaning Myrtle was sitting on a cistern. Oh, it's you, she said when she saw Potter. And it's that pretty blonde boy from Halloween. You never came to see me, dear. One conversation with you had this lot thinking I was the heir of Slytherin. I couldn't risk another. Myrtle, Draco said, I'm sorry, but there's been a lot going on. This year has been horrible, and we really need your help, please. What is it? She simpered. To ask you how you died, said Potter. Myrtle got a look on her face like Draco had followed through on his old plot of trapping Gryffindor boys under the mistletoe with her. Oh, it was dreadful, she said, with a macabre sort of lasciviousness in her tone. It happened right in here. I died in this very cubicle. I remember it so well. I'd hidden, because Olive Hornby was teasing me about my glasses. The door was locked and I was crying and then I heard somebody come in. They said something funny. A different language, I think it must have been anyway. What really got me was that there was a boy speaking. So I unlocked the door to tell him to go and use his own toilet and then... Myrtle was clearly reaching the climax of her story, to judge by her expression. I died! How? said Potter. No idea! said Myrtle rather dramatically, enjoying being the centre of attention. I just remember seeing a pair of great big yellow eyes. My whole body sort of seized up and then I was floating away. She looked dreamily at them, and then I came back again. I was determined to haunt Olive Hornby, you see. Oh, she was sorry she'd ever laughed at my glasses. Draco hadn't been completely self-absorbed. He did remember letting Myrtle rant to him once or twice about that Olive Hornby. Where exactly did you see the eyes? said Potter. Somewhere there, said Myrtle, pointing vaguely towards the sink in front of her toilet. It looked like an ordinary sink. They examined every inch of it, inside and out, including the pipes below. And then Potter was the one to spot it. Scratched on the side of one of the copper taps was a tiny snake. That taps never worked, said Myrtle brightly as he tried to turn it. Harry, said Ron, say something. 
Say something in parcel tongue. But, Potter seemed to be concentrating hard, but when he finally spoke, open up came out in human language. Potter looked at Draco, who shook his head. Oh, Potter, trust you to get performance anxiety when faced with a snake. Neither of the second years seemed to understand the joke enough to be offended. Need me to conjure you another snake? Don't you dare, Ron protested. But Draco's taunt had made Potter look back at the carving with new determination. Hissing sounds came out of Potter's mouth, at once turning him from a mere second year to something eerie and ethereal, even before the tap glowed with a brilliant white light and began to spin. And then the sink slowly lowered itself down into the floor and beyond the range of sight, showing a pipe with a human-sized opening, which did not at all look like a dignified place for a Malfoy to climb down but would perhaps have been acceptable to deign to enter in a pinch, if actually saving his cousin. Ron gasped, while Potter got that incredible calm command on his face that he had had when negotiating with Aragog. I'm going down there, he said, and Draco resisted the urge to kiss him on the cheek again. Me too, said Ron, and Draco nodded. No need to talk me into it this time, he agreed. No cousin of a Malfoy is going to die somewhere whose entrance is a bathroom. Just like last year, Ron said with forced brightness, and Draco was glad he'd gotten his respiratory fit over for the day. Guess we just slide on down, huh? Because that worked so well last time with the devil's snare. Hey, Potter, what are you... Damn it! Draco groaned and dropped into the pipe before he could think better of it. It took longer than falling through the trap door, though in the great undignified sliding of it all through this slimy rotten place, imagine a Malfoy in the sewers, without even the excuse of an important murder to commit there. But he had the reassurance of Potter ahead and Ron behind him, with Ron making a rather more awkward thumping way through by the sound of it. Better ride than the spiders, Draco shouted rather hysterically, but he heard the two of them laughing before the pipe unceremoniously ejected them all in a heap of slimy second years. Draco's hand went immediately to check his wand at his side, but it was no more bent than usual. He took it out instinctively and couldn't make himself put it back in his pocket. We must be miles under the school, said Potter voice echoing in the tunnel. Say one thing for following Gryffindors about. It did give a more expansive tour of the attractions of Hogwarts. Under the lake, probably, said Ron, squinting around at the dark walls, and Draco had to hold himself back from complimenting Ron on his unusually astute deduction. It would make sense for it to be under the lake, for it to be this wet, unless the basilisk made secretions. Okay, let's go, Draco said. All we need to know about why we're here is that Loon Lovegood is here. Lumos, Potter muttered to his wand and it, it lit again. Come on, he said to Ron and Draco. And off they went, their footsteps slapping loudly on the wet floor. Lumos, 
Draco cast in turn, and Ron followed, but they could still see barely past the lights. All the extra charms did was make their shadows against the glistening walls taller, three looming monsters preparing to pounce on their personal targets. Remember, Potter said quietly, as they walked cautiously forward. Any sign of movement, close your eyes straight away. You know, a more intelligent person than Draco, knowing full well that it was a basilisk down here, might have dedicated at least a modicum of time to researching spells that could help with the whole looking at it equals instant death problem. He wished that the Weasley twins had already invented that instant darkness powder, unless facing a basilisk through the darkness still counted. Draco cried out when there was a crunch, throwing a hand over his eyes and nearly dropping his wand in fear, before Potter's hands were on him, roughly pulling his hand down with a groan. Calm down, it's just a skull he stepped on. Potter sighed, giving Draco the feeling that for all his posing of bravery he had started to act like a longbottom. It was a powerful motivator in a way. Nothing in his life, not even fear of his father's anger, had ever stirred Draco into action more than not wanting to be embarrassed in front of Harry Potter. There's all kinds of bones, Draco observed as casually as he could, pretending he hadn't just been the only one to scream. Potter's wand lowered and lit up a whole path worth of them which wasn't at all menacing. Still, he let Potter take the lead as they reached a bend in the tunnel. Harry, there's something up there, said Ron hoarsely, grabbing Potter's shoulder. Draco took another step behind Potter. I'm a lover, not a fighter. They need me back here. I'm too valuable to be risked. I'm the only member of this heroic party of any brains or looks. Potter and Ron stood there watching for a moment, and slowly, Draco's eyes adjusted too to the sight over Potter's shoulder of something big and suspiciously basilisk-looking. Wait, where the bloody hell was Potter's sword? Was this just something he hadn't gotten around to telling Draco like the voices in the wall? Would he have found himself some great big hero sword by now, if it wasn't for Draco throwing him off the scent of the real air? Maybe it's asleep, Potter breathed, glancing back at them. Draco bit back a sarcastic question where the Potter had brought that old whittled flute of Hagrid's. It had worked on Fluffy. Very slowly, as if he was a veteran of many wars and not just a second year, Potter edged forward, his wand held high. The light slid over a gigantic snakeskin of a vivid, poisonous green, lying curled and empty across the tunnel floor. The creature that had shed it must have been twenty feet long. At least. In other circumstances it might have been pretty. If you tilted your head, it looked a bit like the pile of green and silver wrapping paper beside Severus's Christmas tree. Draco had spent much of his life thinking Severus infallible, apart from the moment Severus got himself fed to a giant snake. But at this sight, even Severus might have to admit the possibility that the monster of the chamber might just turn out to be a basilisk. Blimey, said Ron weakly. No, this is good. Draco said, putting on far more assurance than he felt, and very useful, and gives us a rough idea of the size and shape of the beast. 
It must have been recently shed to hold its shape so much, and we can predict the height of eyes like this. Draco waved his wand around the shed skin as if it would demonstrate a thing, but Potter and Ron's shadowed faces did look somewhat reassured, so that was something. Okay, Potter said, and his jaw set, that stubborn look came on his face that wasn't any different from the one he had worn, facing Voldemort in the Hogwarts courtyard. Potter led them past the giant snake skin bravely, though Ron kept sneaking glances back at it like he expected it to come to life at any moment. Draco stayed quiet in the tunnel, as they went through a great length of wet black walls and bends and shadows, though it just made him more anxious. He would look sometimes down at the distinctive bend of his wand to calm himself, sometimes over at Potter's determined heroic face, and sometimes even at Ron on Potter's other side, who looked somehow even more terrified than Draco felt, and yet whose feet seemed to be having no more trouble moving themselves forward. Draco practically bit through his lip to stop himself crying out again, when they came up to a solid wall ahead on which two entwined serpents were carved, their eyes set with great glinting emeralds. He had hated every step down the tunnel, but now that they had reached its end, he almost wished it could have gone on forever, and Potter had stopped before it, turning to look at Draco, but the words that came out of his mouth were borderline incomprehensible. Draco, do you remember when you caught the snitch against Ravenclaw? What? Draco said, while Ron looked stumped, as if trying to figure out how this would somehow prove to be a helpful reference. Yes, of course. Why? Potter bit his lip, squared his shoulders and asked, When you almost ran me over, and then you... You transfigured the snitch and you gave it to me. Do you remember? Was that was that just a joke, Draco? Just because of what I yelled at you before, did you did you mean it? I don't I have no bloody idea what he's talking about, said Ron, and Draco forced a smile. Me either, said Draco. Come on, Potter, ask me when my cousin isn't dying. He didn't know how Potter could make himself just walk up like that, and the air of destiny was something swelling up unmistakably around him then. The awe almost crushed at Draco, as the parcel tongue came out of Potter's mouth this time without failure. The serpents parted as the wall cracked open, the halves slid smoothly out of sight, and Potter, trembling but not looking back once, led Draco and Ron inside. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Heir of Slytherin, part two of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Bridget.